Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Engineered Solutions of Georgia. Dial 678-ESOG now for a solution to your foundation and waterproofing problems. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. All right, before we're done, a good friend of our program, former Georgia quarterback Jake Fromm, had an unbelievable night last night for the Washington Commanders. Really the talk of the NFL world and kind of the sporting world here this morning is Fromm's performance late last night and what turned into be kind of a thrilling preseason game on Monday Night Football on ESPN. So we'll celebrate the Georgia angle on this before we're done here today. Before that, though, the two teams that met in last year's SEC championship, Georgia and LSU, could possibly be facing off again in a big game here in 2023 and Kelly who saw Georgia up close and personal in that game last year Brian Kelly the LSU coach and has seen Georgia a couple of times going back to his time as Notre Dame coach both 2017 2019 he has been talking about Georgia some here this offseason and that makes sense I don't think there's anything wrong with that necessarily obviously if you're Kelly moving into your second year there with the Tigers you would aspire to be where Georgia is you want to win a national championship and yet some of the things that Kelly has said about Georgia as he tries to lead LSU in that direction I think have been very interesting including if you want to go back to SEC media days in July Kelly gave you one of the most honest admissions I think a coach can give about even though last year Georgia and LSU were in the same field together and Georgia and LSU this year could be a part of the same college football playoff conversation together when Kelly looks at his own team compared to the Georgia team that beat him up in Atlanta last year Kelly still sees pretty big divide between these teams here right now here is that honest admission from Kelly on that point at SEC media days back in July take a listen to this I know that based upon how we've recruited and how we'll continue to recruit um, that we'll have um, a football roster that that will be able to compete against Georgia is that right now no it's not but if we continue to do what we're doing we're going to have a roster that can compete against Georgia and then it's just a matter of getting it done on, on the on the playing field so everybody then can assess they've closed the gap no matter who the coach is or what the topic is I always appreciate honest candid remarks and I think from Kelly there those are honest and candid remarks he obviously believes himself to be a good coach he believes that his coaching can make up a talent advantage perhaps but when he looks at Georgia he says he still sees one and when Kelly said that back in July kind of got our attention a bit because it's the kind of candor that you don't often hear from a coach at SEC media days which oftentimes is just sort of a bland parade of one boring statement right after the other but what if I told you that Kelly has now said something even more interesting about Georgia than that he was spending some time with Chris Lowe Chris Lowe is a reporter for ESPN.com and Lowe put this out on Twitter about LSU's own pursuit of a national championship and Kelly in talking about that has given Georgia what I think you can only describe as a fairly strange compliment but as you listen to this and you kind of listen to it at first blush maybe you're like hey wait is he taking a shot at Georgia taking a jab at Georgia and honestly I think upon further reflection you're gonna realize no that's not what he's doing he's actually opening the door for what I think is probably a pretty interesting conversation let me show you this on the screen for those of you watching on video and obviously you're not I'll read it to you. Chris Lowe on Twitter says that he was visiting with LSU coach Brian Kelly. And Lowe writes on Twitter, or I guess it's now called X, it's obvious that he likes the talent of his LSU team, 
but do the Tigers have the traits it takes to win a national championship? And here's the quote from Brian Kelly. He says, you got to have some incredible grit. You got to go to Columbia, Missouri, like Georgia did last year and play like he uses an expletive. I'll say garbage, play like garbage, and then still find a way to win. Now, if you wanted to be like super, I guess, unfair here, uh, you could make the headline be, oh, Brian Kelly talks about Georgia playing like garbage, although he uses a different word at Missouri. And that's kind of the first place your eyes go to, your mind kind of goes to. But what Kelly's actually saying there is, hey, Georgia in a game in which it was not playing well, found a way to show some grit, pulled that out, and ultimately national championships are built on the back of those types of performances. And it's kind of a strange thing for Kelly to say. There's a extreme level of candor there with that. But I also think in a roundabout way, he's kind of right that that when you look at what Georgia did a year ago, among the more significant moments of the season, certainly more significant than the national championship game itself, Georgia won the national championship game 65 to 7. But its real test came in a sleepy night in, you know, Columbia, Missouri, where I got to tell you, as a Georgia fan myself, there came a moment during that game when I completely recalibrated expectations. And, and for a moment there, I kind of was left to wonder is Georgia going to lose? I mean, I, I got very nervous about that, and yet Georgia still found a way to pull that out. So what Kelly says about Georgia, we'll find out kind of how his own team potentially embraces that as the season goes along. But since Kelly brought it up, you know, I think we should consider it again that the same thing is likely to be true for Georgia at some point in time this year too. The kind of grit that it showed last year, it's going to probably need to show that grit or a similar level of grit and toughness, mental, physical, everything else in some sort of game that we least expect. And I want to kind of give you some numbers here that bolster this point for a moment. Now, I realize the sort of like fancy stat analytic stuff is not everyone's cup of tea. Totally understand that. And Here's what I'd say. What I'm about to read to you, you may not even like necessarily believe. You're like, well, how does ESPN know this? How do, how do these math nerds come up with this? Even if we would say, I'm not sure this is specifically true, can we at least agree that what I'm about to read is probably directionally true, that it's probably kind of going in the direction of what the, the actual truth is? That if you look at the what the ESPN calls its football power index for the upcoming season, Georgia, as we've talked about before, is third in its preseason FPI. But more importantly than that, when you look at the percentages the projections that ESPN gives Georgia and the percentages this could happen that if you look at Georgia's chances of winning all of its games here this season according to ESPN Georgia's got a 21.5 percent chance of winning all of its games this year conversely it's got an 18.5 percent chance of winning the national championship now consider this for a moment what ESPN in a roundabout way is saying is is that Georgia's chances of going undefeated even though it's playing what most people would say on paper pretty soft schedule certainly georgia will be a massive favorite in almost every one of those games that georgia's chance of going undefeated are very very close numerically to its chances of winning the national championship as well and a lot of folks may be of the belief well you know georgia's going to coast right through this this regular season schedule and then we'll find out what happens after that but mathematically what espn saying is kind of the opposite that if georgia can get towards the end of the season still alive for the national championship its chances of winning that actually go up greatly in fact for those of you who want to pay attention to some of these numeric things as the season rolls along watch how georgia's chance of winning the national championship start to go up the more the season passes without georgia losing that what we should consider from some of this math stuff is if georgia somehow doesn't win the national championship something that espn says is uh, numerically likely to happen 
The number one reason why that's the case is not because an Ohio State gets Georgia the way they almost did this past season. I think it's far more likely that somebody along the regular season schedule, a la a Missouri, gets them and somehow that prevents Georgia from making the college football playoff. Now, I've told you before, that's not what I believe is going to happen. I believe that Georgia is going to win the national championship, or as we say around here, go for three and 23. But Brian Kelly's words remind us that running through a schedule, even a schedule that looks easy on paper, is not an easy thing to do. Uh, you know, right now, ESPN only gives Georgia a 21.5% chance of winning all of its games, far more likely to lose one at some point in time. Which one's that going to be? We don't necessarily know. It could be any. Obviously, Missouri uh, would have been one of the last games you would have expected a year ago, but that's what you have to be on guard for. So I think the key takeaway here from what Kelly says and what we have waiting for Georgia for the upcoming season is the simple truth that winning a national championship is hard even if you are by far and away on paper the best team and predicting the thing that stands in your way is also really difficult too perhaps it's an sec championship game against a team such as lsu or perhaps alabama maybe it's a college football playoff game against one of these big 10 teams that we're told is essentially unbeatable or maybe it's something in the regular season that you never would have seen coming that has a way of sneaking up for you but if you're a Georgia fan, you got to be on guard for anything. And if you're a Georgia coach or player, you especially have to be on guard for the idea that your grit and your toughness is going to be tested. It was a year ago, and Georgia passed that test. And it's going to be interesting to see here in 2023 how they do all of that again. Now, let me shift gears and talk about something else here just for a moment. If you want to go to Saturday, one of the things that Kirby Smart, I think, said that was really interesting, and some of this was kind of how the question to him was framed, but he was looking at his slot wide receivers. And he makes a very interesting comparison here between two players who could not, at least at first blush, be more more different. Makai Muse, you remember him as one of the stars of spring, and we kind of saw that validate on G-Day. Apparently, a lot of that for him has continued here through the summer there as well. We're led to believe that Muse is going to be a part of what Georgia does on the field here this year, perhaps as a part of the offense, almost certainly as a part of the special teams. But Muse is a real player in high standing, and that's a guy that gives Georgia a very capable ball player. It can add to its list of players that it feels comfortable playing. That's what Muse seems to be here right now. And alongside a guy like Makai Muse, there's also Dominic Lovett, whose profile is much greater than what Muse would appear to be. Lovett was one of the top five transfer players this past season. He comes to Georgia with some real accolades. He had almost 900 yards receiving uh, for Missouri a year ago. He was Missouri's leading receiver, one of the top pass catchers in the entire SEC for 2022. So at first blush, Lovett, his profile, Muse, his profile, seem like they would be really very different but it's interesting to hear Kirby Smart talk about the ways in which both these guys are actually maybe more alike than you might realize and to hear them mention the same sentence I think also kind of explains one of the things that makes Georgia pretty cool right now let me let you hear Kirby Smart on that topic for a moment they're more similar than they are different so they, they both have redeeming qualities and quickness in, in getting the ball making touches they're not physically imposing blockers they both are willing blockers and they're both really tough They'll stick their face in there, and you know you're not going to be in our program or, or rep at our practices if you're not willing to go block somebody or play on the special teams. So both those guys have bought into the special teams and the blocking when they don't have the ball. Uh, when they do have the ball, they've, they've made some good plays. So we have to find a way to utilize each of their skill sets, and they complement each other in terms of keeping each other fresh. The other guys, Anthony Evans, 
who's played in the slot, and he's different than those guys, and, he, and he's made some plays. So I'm very pleased with where they are. We've got to continue to get more out of those guys. I want to make two quick points about this, and then we'll move on. Here's point number one. We talked the other day, when you look at the way in which the NIL world and the transfer portal world have kind of evolved the way that teams put their rosters together, I think teams like Georgia, who have a history of hoarding the most talent, are going to probably be required to be pretty creative in the future about how they maintain the talent edge they have had. You know, big splash, NIL-type moves, things like that, have just created the potential that one team can kind of reach up and grab one individual player away from a program like Georgia and that can be a little bit frustrating for UGA fans. We've kind of seen that p- perhaps the KJ Bolden a few weeks ago, perhaps with Williams Winery, uh just last week, where a big NIL move on the part of one team took away from Georgia the kind of player that maybe in the past uh, they would have won with. It doesn't mean that Georgia's recruiting machine is broken or even slowing down. It's still the best there is, but it does speak to the additional creativity that's required to get the most out of your roster which means sometimes you go out and make the big splash move yourself bringing a guy like Lovett or some elite recruit or sometimes you do what Georgia seems to do better than anybody else which is you go out and find the diamonds in the rough from the walk-on ranks the unheralded recruit ranks whatever else and get more out of those players than almost any other program saw possible Makai Muse may be the latest example of that and to hear Kirby Smart in the scope of a couple of sentences here mention Muse right there alongside Dominic Lovett I think is an example of what makes Georgia Georgia that at Georgia on the playing field everyone's the same it's simply a matter of who can perform better here I don't care what your star ranking was coming out of high school I don't care how highly you're ranked on these you know subscription websites and their transfer portal rankings things like that it's about how you perform at Georgia Makai Muse came from nowhere but he's performing right now as someone who would have had far larger profile coming to the program Georgia's going to give you a chance to show what you're all about. Makai Muse is making good of that opportunity with that opportunity. I think he deserves credit for that. And then on Lovett, I'll say this. I'm led to believe based on people who get a chance to see some of these scrimmages and people who, as I sometimes say, know somebody who knows somebody who knows somebody. You're led to believe that the Dominic Lovett stuff is real right now, that Georgia really truly might have a wide receiver weapon in Lovett that's a a little bit different than perhaps what this program has had in the past. I think that's really fun. And when Kirby Smart says those nice things about Lovett there, even though it doesn't probably bend over backwards to kind of, you know, throw compliments in his direction, he still acknowledges some real positivity around Lovett right now. There are others who are willing to take it even further. I saw where Matt Miller, who's a draft analyst now working for ESPN, the other day he had Lovett ranked among his highest potential risers in the upcoming nfl draft based on the way that he played here this season i want to read you a couple of sentences this is not a graphic on the screen i'm just going to read it from espn.com uh when it comes to love it uh miller at espn says i see potential to round out his game and truly improve under mike bobo and the georgia staff listen to this miller goes on to say he's one of the biggest potential risers at wide receiver in this draft class and if he hits the ground running Lovett could quickly shoot into the top 50 conversation. That's the kind of transfer player that Georgia has added with Dominic Lovett, the kind of player who could at least be a second-round pick and have a chance to be taken in the top round, the first round of the NFL draft. Georgia hasn't always had a lot of those kinds of wide receivers, but it went out and got Lovett in the transfer portal. That was the kind of player it was bringing into this program. And not only that, Kirby Smart says another walk-on that 
99% of the folks in the country have never heard of, he is performing in a similar manner in practice here right now. This is why so many Georgia fans and people who've observed the Georgia program are so high on the Georgia receiver situation right now. There were very good players who could have made other decisions, such as Ladd McConkey, to go to the NFL draft. They stayed at UGA. And in addition to that, Georgia went out and brought in Lovett and also Ra Ra Thomas, the best two wide receiver transfer additions this program has had. There are young receivers seemingly ready to step up. There is a lot of depth at that receiver position here right now. And when you look at what can make Georgia fun and exciting here on the field in the upcoming season, the wide receiver spot seems like a pretty good place to start. My name is Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans presented today by Engineered Solutions of Georgia. We're happy to have you with us across all platforms. Start 945, first and 15 on dognation.com, the Dog Nation app, then everywhere live at 10 a.m. on video, podcast and radio after that, whichever platform you like. We're just glad you find us, glad you use it, and we are really, really happy to have you as a part of our program today. And a big, huge thanks to our friends at Engineered Solutions of Georgia who make it all possible. Foundation, waterproofing issues. If you're a homeowner, you either are or should be on the lookout for this at all times. When it rains, does water end up where it's not supposed to be? In your garage, your basement, your crawl space even. If it does, if that's the case, then Engineered Solutions of Georgia is a company that you need to know about. How about those cracks? Sometimes you see outside of your house those kind of stair-step cracks in the brick. Not a good sign a horizontal crack in the sheetrock on the inside of the house once again potentially not a good sign but when you have a problem like that engineered solutions of georgia the company to know because they are a solutions-based company what that means is the entire business plan for esog the entire reason for existing in their minds is to solve problems for customers and clients just like you they're also proud partners of UGA, makes them fun to do business with uh, because they support the dogs. Longtime friends of ours here at Dog Nation Daily. The nicest thing you could ever do for me is to show support for a company like Engineered Solutions of Georgia that's shown great support to us. I truly, truly, genuinely, sincerely, and deeply appreciate that. And I know they're going to do right by you there as well because they have an entire team of engineers on staff to help you with your foundation and waterproofing issues. There's nobody else in our market area that can put that level of resource to work for you solving your problems than our friends at Engineered Solutions of Georgia can. Uh, They've also got a fully transferable triple protection warranty on materials, installation, and design. So great value when it comes to doing business with ESOG there as well. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to give them a call. Engineered Solutions of Georgia, you can call them 678-ESOG now. That's right, dial 678-ESOG. ESOG now that'll get you in touch with engineered solutions of Georgia proud partners of UGA longtime friends of here's of ours on dog nation daily and a great solution to your foundation and your waterproofing issues we're gonna talk to Connor Raleigh here in a moment I'm excited about that Connor obviously in Athens on Saturday in the aftermath of UGA scrimmage the announcement of Carson Beck as the Georgia starting quarterback and one of the things in particular that we're going to get into when Connor is on is that issue as it relates to Beck and the very interesting contrast that currently exists between Georgia and some of its top rivals for the national championship, such as Alabama and Ohio State. Very different chatter about the quarterback position coming out of those two places. We told you about this yesterday, and we'll kind of further that conversation today with Connor Riley here coming up 
in just a moment. Looking forward to doing that. We'll also talk Connor about the uh, injury situation around Georgia there too. In fact, why, why, why don't we pick up on that before Connor comes on as we go around the doghouse here for a moment, and we'll give you a little bit of an update from Kirby Smart on the Georgia injury situation, starting with one of those that we kind of heard about the other day, and this is sort of like that worst kind of news story that kind of pops up uh, no matter you know you're following the nfl you're following college football you're following whatever else that camp season you're always holding your breath for the injury well last week georgia got a little bit of bad injury news set back anyway as it relates to the freshman tight end loss and lucky lucky was another one of those guys generated great buzz during spring practice but the start to that freshman season probably going to be delayed here a little bit or at least the lead up the build up to the start of that season going to be delayed a little bit because of the injury situation that he's currently dealing with but how serious is it Kirby Smart said on Saturday that for now they're not quite so sure this is what Kirby said about the loss and lucky injury situation it's week to week I mean uh, I won't know exactly what it is we've had uh, Arian came back in three to four weeks uh, from a similar injury um, but we've had guys take five weeks we've had guys take six weeks so I, I, I can't tell you that I don't know it'll be you know how he handles it and the pain tolerance and the recovery but Ron and the medical staff's going to do the best job they can to uh, get him back so Kirby not a lot of details there and I kind of take that to be not some sort of attempt to conceal but just sort of the just the general belief they're not quite so sure because it seems like there's kind of a wide range uh, on some of that kind of stuff but at the very least some of the expectations that existed for a lucky probably have to be tempered just a little bit just given the kind of unknown situation and perhaps how long that's going to linger we obviously wish him well during his recovery we still believe that georgia can be very strong at the tight end position but lucky's a guy that people are excited about and at some point this season we believe we'll get a chance to see why that is but we may be forced to wait on that a little bit how about some other georgia injuries for a moment Interesting update on Kendall Milton, admittedly not the world's best news. Also, factor Janela Guerrero into this particular conversation there as well. Uh, Kirby kind of covering uh, some other injuries, the Branson Robinson thing there too. Uh, here's Kirby on some other injury situations for Georgia, and in some respects, sounding a little bit like he had kind of sounded when he was talking about loss and lucky. Once again, Kirby Smart from Saturday. Uh there all day today. I don't know really what to tell you. Smile's running really fast. Um, he's he's exercising. He is not practicing. He will be able to do some drill work Monday. Um, he's come along really well. He's he's very very passionate about um, getting back and, uh, and and he's 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 not sore. He's running. And the first test of that foot is how much soreness comes when he runs. And he's he's been great. Um, Kendall. Uh, he's been hitting higher speeds. Uh, he was not able to go today. Uh, I think he's really close, uh, but he's been out for a while. Uh, Jonell's got a hamstring, grade one, so I don't know when he'll be back. And there was one other one. Branson? Yeah, Branson's been doing more each day in practice. I mean, he, he basically scrimmaged today without carrying the ball. He, he was in on plays, did pass pro, ran routes, caught balls. I mean, he looks pretty good out there, uh, but he, we have not uh, tackled him live. So there you go. I take that as pretty good news on Smile Mon, and that's a player I believe that can really be before the year's done. Obviously, one of George's most important players. He was a year ago when he comes back fully healthy. We believe that'll be the case. Admittedly, not the best news about Kendall Milton, the fact that he wasn't a participant Saturday, according to what Kirby Smart said there, as that hamstring issue apparently lingers for him. You know, the longer it goes, the more of a concern it obviously turns out to be. 
I think the Janelle Aguero thing is probably worth paying attention to. I do believe Aguero, you know, along obviously with Tyke Smith, who's expected, I think, to start at the star position. You know, Aguero could be an example of one of those freshmen that finds his way into the field if he's healthy enough to do so. Uh, Kirby says it's a grade one hamstring. <laughs> the truth is, not being a medical professional, I don't know, is that good or bad? In a criminal court, murder one's the worst kind of murder. Is uh, is grade one hamstring the worst or the best? Uh, I don't know. We'll have to find out more uh, about that, I guess. And then Branson Robinson, actually a little bit more hopeful on Branson, which you kind of like to hear there too. So, you know, Georgia, I would say, is certainly more healthy than not. But there are obviously a handful of expected key contributors who are kind of dealing with some of that stuff. Ernest Green, I guess, left the scrimmage briefly on Saturday, but according to Kirby, also kind of came back in too. So you're kind of watching all of that. It seems like Georgia's not in a terrible place from an injury standpoint, but there are some decent names who are, uh, you know, kind of dealing with some stuff right now. So, so at least worth our attention there a little bit. And we'll make that around the doghouse here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Engineered Solutions of Georgia Today. And so get ready to bring on Connor Riley to talk more about this. Let me remind you that if you go to dognation.com, at the top of the page right now, one of the things you'll see is a really fun season predictions contest that we're doing. So it's really easy to just kind of click into it and you can make your predictions and you can have a chance to be a winner of some of the fun stuff that we're doing here right now. We've already had a lot of folks kind of get on board to enter uh, this. You've got between now, really, it's been going on for a little while, but between now and September 1st to kind of get in on this. So basically right up until the end of next week, you're going to get involved in this. So you've got big thoughts how these dogs players are going to perform here this year. Your season predictions can be made online at dognation.com and they could make you a winner there as well. So please find out more about this by just simply going to dognation.com right to the top of the page. You can see it, you can click in, and you can be a part of that today. Okay, before we are done, one of our guys, Jake Fromm, is the absolute talk of the NFL world here this morning. We will tell you why, what went on, and what turned out to be, and the list of contenders this not very long, one of the most thrilling preseason games I've seen in quite some time. So this was last night. Jake Fromm played a big role in all of that. We will celebrate some good news for him on that before we're done. But for now, Georgia injuries. The very interesting comparison at quarterback for Georgia and the other teams that think they can win the national championship. We'll cover that and so much more with Connor Riley today here on Dog Nation Daily presented by ESOG. From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. Glad to have Connor Riley here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Engineered Solutions of Georgia today. And Connor, we heard Kirby Smart a moment ago sharing some injury information based on a question you asked him. So I'm going to turn the tables on you and now ask you a question. When you look at the overall kind of totality of the Georgia injuries, you know, fairly significant running back, you know, seemingly not that uh, saturated maybe anywhere else. How serious do you put the George injury situation right now? Does it, is it, you know, cumulative enough to kind of rise the level of being a concern or do you think of Georgia as mostly being a healthy team moving into the start of kind of the post-fall camp situation kind of getting into you know the the sort of actual in-season preparations where do you put the level of Georgia's health here at the moment yeah I think when you remove the running back position it, it was probably a pretty good fall camp in terms of injuries or at least in terms of high-end guys you know in the years past we've seen guys like Darnell Washington Tyke Smith expected contributors to go down, and they were really lost for that first month of the season last year. Arian Smith, I think, was poised to play a big role, and it took him a long time to come back from his ankle injury. 
you look at the guys right now that are injured, uh, you know, and we'll, we'll talk about the running back position, I'm sure, later, or people are just tired of hearing me talk about it. But, you know, Schmalman is probably not going to be ready to go for the start of the season. That was expected for a while. Uh, you know, Lawson Lucky's probably going to miss maybe about a month, might be ready to go by that Auburn game there. Raylan Wilson is dealing with a hyperextended knee, and those two guys are both freshmen who, you know, maybe they see the field in terms of special teams, but they weren't going to play a ton. And then really the one to monitor right now, I think it's Kamari Lasseter, uh, you know, a foot injury that has sort of lingered maybe a little bit longer than some people would have thought. You know, he might be 100% for the season opener. They also might, you know, choose to, I think, be safe with him and also get reps for guys like Nyland Green, Julian Humphrey, Dale, whatever, as they still try and figure out that cornerback position. So all in all, I think when you remove the running back position, it is a pretty good, you know, bill of health, so to speak, with Georgia coming out of fall camp. I mean, the other one that I would also talk about a little bit, too, is Janelle Aguero. And I kind of joked a moment ago about not really knowing if a grade one hamstring, is that, is that the good one or the bad one? You know, like when I have to fill out those surveys, and you have to like, you know, you know, circle one if you strongly agree or circle five if you strongly disagree. I never kind of remember which one's supposed to be which. So, I mean, on a serious note, I do believe by the end of the year, Aguero, I, I would almost expect to be Georgia's starter at that nickelback star position. You know, how much do you think injuries could kind of slow that progression for him? Certainly a, a good bit, uh, just because, again, that hamstring injury, we don't know how serious it is right now. You know, again, Kirby said grade one, held him out of the scrimmage on Saturday, and, and so I, I think that's certainly something to monitor. Look, Tyke Smith was going to be your starting uh, star player, star nickelback to start the season, but you look at those first couple games, uh, UT Martin, Ball State, and then that fourth game, UAB, those were going to be chances – for Aguero to get a lot of reps. And if that hamstring isn't healthy, then you lose the chance and opportunity at those reps, and you're having to take a chance on a guy who, oh, by extremely talented and an unreal athlete, you're going to have to get him those reps in bigger game situations. Kentucky at home, Auburn on the road, uh, you know, Jacksonville uh, against Florida. And so I think you want to be careful there in terms of getting him up to speed, but also making sure he's 100%. So if he's not, as you know, with hamstrings, those things can just linger for a while and really never heal. And so I think that is certainly something to monitor for a guy that Georgia had very high expectations for. And then very quickly, it was kind of eye-opening to me to hear Kirby say that, that Kendall didn't participate on Saturday. Um, I'm not a medical guy. I don't know what that means. And I still you know, believe that Kendall can be a big part of this Georgia rushing attack here this year. But gosh, we're getting towards the end of August here, and that kind of hasn't cleared itself up yet for him. Uh, I know he's personally frustrated about that, but but a little, you know, alarming. I noticed it. Let me just say it like it's not alarming, because that's that's too strong of a word. I definitely noticed it when Kirby said that Kendall didn't really participate on Saturday. Yeah, I think they know what they have in Kendall. They know what they can get from him. And just the biggest thing, and this is maybe. Uh, you know, the, sa- the staff admitting it, they just need him to stay healthy. They don't need him to try and push through a hamstring injury when he's not 100%. And Kirby did say he's pretty close to hitting his, his normal top speed. But, you know, for such a talented player, the story going into the season, and it's probably going to follow him throughout the year, is it- just how much can Georgia expect Kendall Milton to stay healthy? And what we said about the hamstring injury with Janelle Aguero, it applies to Kendall Milton. He had one in the spring, and then he has another one right at the start of fall camp there. And look, it's not like, you know, Kendall isn't taking care of his body. He's doing everything he can, both inside the facility and outside of it. You know, I think some guys are are just cursed with injury luck. You know, there's some guys that are predisposed to getting hurt. There are some guys that just find a way to never really get hurt. And unfortunately for Kendall, a a really talented player, a guy who 
whether he's on the field or not, is going to be a key voice in this locker room for Georgia. But he just hasn't been able to stay healthy. I expect him to be able to play in that first game against UT Martin. But how much we see of him, I don't know. Just given, you know, Georgia needs Kendall to be a game 13, game 14, game 15 player. And they don't really need to put a lot of tread on his tires, you know, to start the season, especially when he is coming in banged up. I'm fascinated by Kirby Smart's instincts sometimes because I don't believe he planned the Beck thing to work out the way that it did. I really don't, naming Carson Beck as the starter. But my gosh, you want to talk about just sort of a flair for instinct here? Georgia makes a very clear, decisive announcement, Beck's our guy. At the same time this weekend, you've got Alabama just sort of fumbling around in the dark. Now they're talking about their fourth-string quarterback, Dylan Lonergan. They have no idea who their starting quarterback is going to be. Conversely, Ohio State, which always has a great quarterback, Devin McCourt's supposed to be that guy here this year. It sounds like coming out of Columbus, there is a very real chance that he just ain't it. Now, maybe eventually he does, uh, but for now, the younger guy, the the, the brown kid, uh, sounds like you know he's going to have a chance to be that guy for them. Instead, there is honest, I think, um, mystery about who the Ohio State starting quarterback is going to be there as well. And, Connor, it is hard not to draw that contrast. Georgia, sure what it has in Carson Beck, at least in its own mind. Alabama, completely unsure. Ohio State surprisingly unsure I don't think Kirby Smart planned it to work out that way but from a PR standpoint I don't believe it could have worked out better for Georgia do you agree yeah I I get what you're saying there I'll say this about the Ohio State uh, conversation ever since Ryan Day has become the head coach each one of his starting quarterbacks has been a Heisman Trophy finalist so I'm willing to give whoever wins that job the benefit of the doubt because he's going to be surrounded with a great group of wide receivers and two really talented running backs when healthy and Travion Henderson and Myron Williams there. So that's not the same level of concern. And as far as Alabama, like, look, these guys, you know, with the exception of Buckner, had all springs to try and win and stick a claim to this job. In the way, I think Carson Beck really came out and did. And, you know, Milrose even got more experience in terms of starts than Carson Beck does, and for whatever reason, be it a new offense, be it the new you know, offensive coordinator, I think Alabama trying to change what it does, uh, as I don't think this is a particularly strong group of wide receivers, certainly compared to what they've had in the past, and they want to become more of a run-first offense there. Uh, the quarterback position has sort of emerged as a quagmire there, and look, Bryce Young was you know, as good as any player in the country last year. If you wanted to say he was the best player in the country, uh, I would – not fall to in the slightest for that in terms of what he did, in terms of what he meant for that offense. And so to go from, you know, the best player in the country to average at best right now, it looks like what you have at that quarterback position, it should be a little worrying if you're Alabama there. And so with Georgia, look, Kirby Smart's never really built the offense around the quarterback being the best or the most important player. And I don't think he's ever going to do that. And well, yes, Carson Beck, is probably going to play a bigger role this year just because of the injury situation at running back. Again, you've got maybe the best offensive line in the country. I certainly believe that. I know people in Michigan would, would, would disagree with that. You've got Brock Bowers, maybe the best pass catcher in the country, certainly the best tight end. You've got a really strong group of wide receivers around him. You know, I, I think Kirby made the call because I, I think he sort of recognized, you know, every player is different, and some guys getting that vote of confidence, getting that belief, I, I think helps helps guys sometimes more than others. And I think you saw that in the spring game when they let Carson go out there and be the first-team quarterback and run the first-team offense in a way that I think is tailored to his skill set. I think that's a big reason why he came out and probably had his best practice of the spring that day. And that confidence does something for a guy like him, especially 
when, like, look, you know, going back to 2021, and he's owned up to this, you know, that situation where, you know, he was QB2, you know, JT Daniels goes down, and he has a chance to step in as a starter, and he handled it poorly. It did not practice well that, that week. They were with Stetson Bennett. Maybe they were always going to ride with Stetson because he was a better in hand, and it was UAB. But I, I think that that experience really helped Carson, and I think it gave Kirby Smart some sort of idea in terms of what they were looking for from Carson and how to get the best out of him. And I think it just so happened to work out that what's best for Carson comes at a time when two other big powers, two certainly I think the, the four teams that can really challenge Georgia this year are sort of trying to find their own ways to empower their own quarterback. Yeah, I agree with what you're saying about Ohio State. I mean, obviously, I expect them to have a good quarterback, no matter what his name ends up being. And maybe you could say the same thing about Alabama there as well. I guess what I find interesting on the Georgia part of this, I'm a believer that if you can name a starting quarterback, there is value in doing so. I think that's true for two reasons. At some point in time, the competition has to end. The preparation has to begin. That's what Georgia wants to do with Beck right now. I think that's really good. But it also provides a focal point for the rest of the team to rally around. And so if I'm a Georgia fan, when I see my team announcing a quarterback here this weekend, no matter what the end result ends up being for the guys that start for these teams, those other programs have been more quarterback dependent. Maybe they still have better years, but it makes my operation right now look very buttoned up. My team knows enough about who his quarterback is going to be. They feel comfortable making that announcement. They're going to prepare him to play. The team's going to rally around him. This is the acknowledged leader of this offense here right now. And for me, for the moment, that does give Georgia a little bit of an edge in comparison to these other teams who think they can win national championships such as Alabama or Ohio State. Yeah, again, I think it instills confidence not just in Carson but in the fan base to believe in Carson because I do think Kirby learns from this. I don't think he ever really empowered Stetson probably until uh, the college football playoff against Michigan uh, in terms of believing in him, in terms of really sticking for him and standing up for him. And then you look at that performance against Michigan he comes out and plays, at that point, the best game of his career. And so I think there is something to be said from a coaching standpoint of choosing to empower your players and signaling that to the fan base because, you know, the fan base certainly takes note of that. There is, going into his first career start, a lot more support behind Carson Beck and what he ultimately might be, I think, than there really was for Stetson probably up until that Tennessee game last year. And so I think, you know, Kirby Smart recognizes the value in that, and as he becomes a more experienced head coach, these are sort of the things you learn over the course of time there. He always believed in Jake Fromm. Jake Fromm was always his guy, and so he never really had to do that early in his time at Georgia. And I think, you know, the entire Stetson Bennett saga from 2020 on, I, I think was a real learning experience for Kirby Smart in terms of how to better handle the position, and I think you've seen that this offseason. Quick change of subject here, B.A. This happened, I think, after you came on the air, and you may have talked about it already, but Juju Lewis, number one overall quarterback in the 2026 cycle, has committed to USC. So that is one Has he really? No, I... Thank you. officially committed to USC. Not aware of that. How about that? Uh, An early sophomore commitment for Lewis. Obviously, there was a big battle of quarterbacks this past weekend between uh, Carrollton and Hughes. Uh, One of uh, Lewis's top high school teammates also suffered a pretty serious injury, I I believe, this weekend there as well. Um, I guess I'm a little bit surprised by the early commitment there on that. That must have been been quite a a negotiation to get him to commit there as a sophomore. I do think he's really good. I, I, I don't think the uh the buzz around him has even started to build to the degree that it possibly will uh jeff kind of told us on friday that that obviously georgia was perhaps not the world's biggest factor in that recruitment here right now but what about usc securing this 
as a sophomore. I, I guess I'm surprised by the timing of this. Are you? Uh, you know, I had heard rumblings that he was getting tired of the recruiting process. I don't think he spoke to reporters after uh, Friday night's game, which, again, you know, you lose in that manner, losing at the one-yard line. An incredible high school game. I know you were busy working, but I got a chance to watch some of that, and, and that was a lot of fun. You rarely see high school games to start the season uh, go that well. And, and so, you know, with Lewis, look, there are going to be other talented quarterbacks out there, uh, and this is sort of a nice way to maybe tie the bow in our larger conversation, like, Again, you know, Carson Beck, you know, over the course of his recruitment, he was he started as a top 50 prospect, committed to Alabama at one point. And, uh, and you know, you just sort of see the way this evolves. He eventually he doesn't finish a, as a ranked quarterback prospect in some of the, uh, you know, recruiting services out there. And you look at guys like, you know, Jalen Milrow was a top 100 player. Uh, Kyle McCord was a five-star prospect in the 2021 cycle. Uh, development is different for every guy out there. And while Juju Lewis is a fantastic talent, and a guy that uh, you know is every bit worthy of being number one overall sophomore in the country. Uh, as far as the quarterback position, look, this is a position that that changes a lot, and, and you know there are a lot of ups and downs. I think Seth and Bennett embody that better than anyone. And, and so you know for Lewis to make this commitment this early, I get it. Uh, you know he's a guy who probably grew tired of the recruiting process because you're that hyped that early. It can just be a lot, and I think by picking USC now, school that I think we, you and I both probably always thought was going to be a factor there for him, given yeah. what Lincoln Riley has been able to get out of his quarterback, specifically quarterbacks of his sort of size and stature, smaller type players. You look at right. you know Tyler uh, Murray, Murray yeah. Baker Mayfield, even Caleb Williams to a, to a certain degree, though Williams is a good bit bigger than Lewis. And so I think from a fifth standpoint, you certainly get that. And then obviously, you know, NIL has played a, a part in Lewis's discussions and what that means there. And USC figures to be very attractive when it comes to that. Very quickly, um, and perhaps I should know this, I, I guess I don't, how much reclassification chatter exists around Lewis? I at one point in time kind of heard it kind of thrown out there as maybe a possibility, but that's also the kind of thing that sometimes people throw out without, you know, I haven't seen his high school transcript. In other words, I don't really know how possible that necessarily is. Is there any kind of chatter about a reclassification for Lewis at the moment? I haven't heard a ton, but in making this commitment this early, I, I do think it's maybe possible to start pushing for that to where if he does everything, maybe he can get to campus by, say, summer 2025. Uh, if he accelerates everything and moves things around, because that, that's maybe the benefit of this commitment this early in terms of maybe getting to campus earlier, because Georgia does have – in some regards, restrictive NAL rules in terms of what high school players can make. Uh, and, you know, maybe that starts to change here. I believe there's a meeting in October to discuss on that. But, uh, you know, right now we haven't heard a ton of chatter when it comes to Lewis in terms of reclassifying. But him making this commitment and this decision this early maybe opens the door for that and allows him to start accelerating that process. Let me squeeze in one more quick topic before we let you go. Um, we talked about off the top of the program what I thought was a very interesting quote from Brian Kelly. It's the kind of thing that kind of goes viral because, you know, Kelly used a bad word. People seem to love that. And, you know, talked about Georgia and, you know, the grit that it showed to beat Missouri in kind of a challenging situation. And yet I do believe once you kind of get over the candor that Kelly uses, it's more interesting than what a lot of coaches typically say. I think there's actually some real truth to Kelly's words here. We talked about some of the like the FPI data a moment ago. If you look at Georgia's chances of winning the national championship and its chances of going undefeated, they're almost the exact same odds. And I think most Georgia fans would say it's far more likely that if Georgia doesn't win the national championship, it loses in the playoff or it loses in the national championship game or something along those lines. But I think numerically, when you look at the 12-game slate it's about to play, 
even though it's individually going to be a sizable favor in all of those games, the chances of winning all of those games actually probably isn't as high as some Georgia fans think that it is. I think Kelly's words should be taken pretty serious here. In other words, on the part of UGA fans, it does take a lot of grit to win a national championship. And at some point in time, you do just sort of have to gut it out in a game in which you don't have your best. And that's probably still going to be true for Georgia here in 2023 as well. All right, I think you can look at the Missouri game last year as a perfect example for Georgia in that. And it's one of those things, you know, from a 10,000-foot view, as I think you and Brian Kelly have laid out, it's just really hard to go undefeated and win all your games. And while certainly when you get up close to game week and you know, all right, Georgia's got a talent edge, you know, in some, in some instances they've got a decisive schematic advantage there uh, as well. And so maybe when you get down to the granular level of, all right, yeah, Georgia can go 1-0 and 12 different times during the regular season and then they got to go win the SEC championship game. Uh, you know, certainly that becomes more difficult. But and Kirby Smart owned up to this. I think a time last season, and certainly in this off season, like you need bounces to go your way if you're going to win a national championship. Uh, Georgia got those in, in 2021 and 2022. I think you and I probably agree uh, they didn't get them in 2017 and 2018, and that's sort of the difference between you know Georgia having two national championships and potentially four. Now. I'll say two national championships probably certainly seems like the right number of national championships to have for Kirby Smart right now. But it's just one of those things. Uh, you need luck in football sometimes. You can be the most talented team in the world, but it's just impossible to play an A game 15 times over the course of the season, especially when you're dealing with 18 to 22-year-olds. And so, you know, even looking at the NFL level, you know, like the Chiefs lose three, four, five games a year and struggle sometimes to win. And so it's just sort of hard – to always be at your best, and I think that's what makes the 2022 team so impressive. They found a way to go 15 and 0 in a way that sure, like that 2021 team may have been more talented, but they couldn't do that. And so, you know, I think it speaks to the ability for a team to be resilient, to have that level of resolve, to dig deep when you're not playing your best and grind out a win. You know, thinking back to that Missouri game in particular. Georgia's offensive line was getting their tail whipped for three quarters in that game at the defensive line, and then something flipped at the start of the fourth quarter. Georgia started to turn the game around right then and there when the offensive line started playing better. And so those are the sort of things that you need to go your way and the breaks that you need to have if you're going to go 15-0 and and ultimately win another national championship. Connor, fun to uh, hear you on the show today. Great to read you there at dognation.com. Appreciate your time. Look forward to having you back here on the program. And thanks for making us aware of the Julian Lewis news, something that we had not uh, realized while we were busy doing the show. So I appreciate you sharing that, and we'll look forward to talking to you soon. Yep, as always, it was a pleasure. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. So there you go. Lewis off the board for the class of 2026. I don't know that many Georgia fans viewed him being at UGA as a huge possibility, but I guess now it's kind of officially over there as well. I do think he's going to be kind of in that Trevor Lawrence category of a guy who, by the time he gets to be a senior, which is if he stays for the rest of his career, is two more years from now. I mean, I just think the level of hype around him is going to be substantial. So this may mean more to you later than perhaps it does here right now. But nonetheless, pretty big news for the class of 2026 here today. We've got some recruiting news to give you there as well, involving another SEC team coming up in a moment. But before that, let's go cruising around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. Obviously, there is so many fun and exciting things happening for Royal Caribbean in 2024. And Jessica Slater is a great travel agent. They can tell you all about it. You can call her 770-718-9147. 
That's 770-718-9147. You can also email her, jslaterdreamvacations.com. That's jslaterdreamvacations.com. One of the things you see right there on your screen if you're watching on video is Icon of the Seas. It debuts in January. It's going to be the largest cruise ship ever constructed. It's going to have so many things unlike anything you've ever seen on a cruise vacation before. This is going to be an unparalleled experience. Brand new restaurant concepts, fun new bars and lounges, entertainment options. Unlike anything ever, you want to be on board Icon of the Seas. Jessica Slater can tell you how you can do it. But something else that I'm also pretty excited about there, too, is another ship debut in July of next year. It's called Utopia of the Seas. It's the brand new Oasis-class ship, and it's going to be going out of Port Canaveral on those three and those four-night sailings. You know, uh, Royal Caribbean has really said, we're going to dominate the sort of three- and four-night sailing space because that's what a lot of families enjoy doing. And Royal Caribbean kind of thinks of itself, and we kind of think of it too because I know my family loves it, as the number one family cruise line, number one family vacation you can take of almost any stripe, really. And so one of the ways they're doing that is saying, hey, right there in Port Canaveral, uh, where it's convenient for a lot of folks who kind of live in area, Georgia, places like that, we're going to put a great brand new ship, those three and four night sailings, going to Perfect Day, Coco Cay, enjoying the Bahamas and enjoying the best of all the things that a brand new Oasis-class ship can provide. That's July of 2024 there as well. Jessica Slater can tell you all about that, so make sure you check in with her here today. Before we talk more about, really, a very buzzy night last night for former Georgia quarterback Jake Fromm and a friend of our program, let's go cruising around the SEC here for a moment, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. And perhaps the biggest bulletin board material we've gotten for Georgia all offseason long comes the way of a former SEC coach, Lou Holtz. I don't know where this was published, but I saw where Lou Holtz is going to put out his top 16 for the upcoming season. He's got Georgia fifth. He's got Michigan number one, so I guess you can put Holtz in the category of those who like mighty Michigan. And if I knew how to do the Lou Holtz you know, voice, if I could do the impersonation, I'd do him saying mighty Michigan or whatever it was that he'd be saying. <laughs> USC coming in at number two, uh, Alabama at number three. He has Ohio State at number four, and then little old Georgia coming in at number five. Now, in a roundabout way, I'm not even mad about this because I'll confess something. Early 2000s, when Holtz and Mark May, who who even knows what he's doing these days, when those two were kind of doing battle against each other on like the old late night ESPN scoreboard show, I forget what it's even called, uh, but that sort of late night ESPN show, I used to love that. Like that to me is like such a great era for like early 2000s college football. So much fun. They're arguing who was the one that would dress up like the judge like they had like gimmicks i i know lou was even kind of a clown back on that show to a lot of people i used to love that late night espn show that had lou holtz on it because you never knew what dumb thing he was going to say or mark may was going to say but you kind of tuned in for it we didn't have a ton of internet stuff the way we do now so cable television is about all we had back then and I was entertained by it. So the fact that Lou Holtz is still somewhere spewing off the absolute worst takes possible in a roundabout way, that's actually kind of comforting for me. So Coach Lou, thank you for doing what you do there on that. Speaking of Holtz's uh, former team, you talk about a, a seamless transition here, broadcast professional. The South Carolina Gamecocks have added a pretty interesting transfer late to the process here. His name is uh, Drew Tuazama, I believe is how you pronounce his name. He was an edge rusher for UAB a year ago and kind of in that, you know, kind of all-conference conversation a bit. I think it was a second-team all-conference type performer. He's been waiting to graduate. That's why he's just now leaving and just now having announced. Now, I'm not telling you this is big-time headline name 
or kind of a big, you know, sort of eye-popping piece of news. I'm not saying that. But in football, everything matters. Little things matter. And finding a capable player who can play in your defense, perhaps get after the quarterback a, a bit for South Carolina late in the process here, this is one of the th- things that's going to matter too. Now, if you think about, well, if he's just getting here, they play Georgia in X number of weeks, you know, just a short few weeks. How effective is he by then? Probably not. And South Carolina probably couldn't keep it close with Georgia even if he was. But when you think about other games that South Carolina could play, all of a sudden, a guy like this sort of matters. The transfer portal is not very kind to the Gamecocks when it comes to their pass rush. So adding a guy like this from a place like UAB that plays real football and Tuazama had a pretty good year a year ago, I think for South Carolina, this is not a, you know, not a small thing. It, it could potentially be a decent size thing. Tennessee also got some good recruiting news yesterday. A five-star edge rusher, at least according to some service, named Jordan Ross, who's from Vestavia Hills, Alabama. He committed to Tennessee. The honest truth is, is that a lot of the programs that typically pursue five stars, you never really heard Ross connected with them very much. You can do with that what you will, I guess. But for Tennessee, this is also one of those things that admittedly kind of matters. Tennessee kind of gets its pick of the litter when it comes to offensive names. Mike Matthews here from Georgia is certainly an example of that for the 2024 class. But the Vols are just awful defensively, and it's one of the reasons why they weren't a legitimate playoff contender a year ago. They just couldn't stop anybody. Uh, and it's one of the reasons why they'll probably stop short of any kind of real substantial success here this year too we know though as long as Josh Heupel's head coach there they are going to score points they're going to probably have effective quarterback play and certainly probably good wide receiver play too but the ongoing question that no one's ever been able to really satisfactorily answer or answer in a satisfactory way to maybe say it better is how good of a defense can you play when you play offense that fast well if you're gonna have any chance of being successful defensively you got to have top recruits and the cupboard for for Heupel when he took that job at Tennessee was barren. It was bare on that side of the ball. So to a certain extent, I think Heupel does deserve a lot of credit for what he's done in two years, especially in his first year in 2021 when they had no business being as competitive as they were. Even on the defensive side, they actually played, you know, about as good a defense you're going to be able to play when you're, you know, got the, you know, sort of seven on seven style offense they were you know not not embarrassing defensively in in 2021 at least for the most part but being better defensively requires top recruits ross is an example of the kind of guy you got to win with and tennessee to its credit does do that speaking of tennessee i saw this from danny white the vols athletic director and this is interesting because these two teams are going to play each other so tony elliott is the virginia head coach former clemson offensive coordinator and apparently a couple of times here elliott has insinuated or outright stated that he was offered the Tennessee job. So what Danny White, the Vols athletic director, has now said is that the first time this happened, he kind of let it go and let it pass. But once Elliott said it again, he felt a need to response that Tennessee only offered the job to one person. That was Josh Heupel. Look, the oldest trick in the book is what constitutes an actual contract offer. You've heard it said before that there's so many different back channel ways to do all of this that every program only offers one coach the job officially speaking that's the guy they know is going to take it that no one offers a job unless you know the guy's going to say yeah so in some respects what white's doing here is playing the same semantic game that athletic directors and university presidents have been playing for a long time but on the other side of this Heupel and White were also very close. They worked together at UCF. So the idea that White would take the Tennessee job and then turn around and hire a coach he'd hired before, that makes all the sense in the world. So did Elliott get the interview and get consideration? I'm guessing he probably did. Was White ever going to seriously consider hiring anybody else from but Heupel? 
I think I believe Danny White when he says the answer to that question is no. And then finally, there's this. Uh, Jim Harbaugh and Michigan have self-imposed a three-game suspension. At one point in time, there was talk, and honestly, we probably can contributed to some erroneous reporting on this because at one point in time, I think there was this general consensus that the four-game suspension uh, that Harbaugh was supposed to have gotten from the NCAA had kind of been announced. And I think we actually reported at one point in time that it had been. As you know, a couple of weeks ago, because we did talk about this, the NCAA kind of rescinded all that and, and basically you know, said it's actually more serious than that. And apparently Michigan's going to kind of draw a line in the sand now against the NCAA, self-imposing a three-game suspension, which is actually less than uh, the suspension that was rumored to have been agreed upon between Michigan, Harbaugh, and the NCAA. All of this related to lying to NCAA investigators, I guess. Uh, I've said before, I care enough about this that I'd like to know the story behind the story and all this, but I don't care enough to actually read any articles about it. So if anybody wants to sum, wants to sum this up for me in like two sentences about what's actually going on here, uh, I'd be curious to hear it. You know, ultimately, I think that wise programs will just look at the NCAA and refuse to cooperate. And that may be what Michigan, even with all its pretentiousness, that may be what it's doing here in this case of saying, eh, we're not that interested in pretending like you still matter. Uh, that may be in a roundabout way what's going on here. And maybe from the NCAA side, the sort of death rattle of, you know, we're going to be very serious about oversight before we completely disappear off the map. That that may be the story here. But nonetheless, new information out there about Harbaugh. It will make that cruising around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. Now, let me give a quick shout out here for a moment, and then I want to talk about Jake Fromm. If you are coming to the Atlanta area at any point in time here for the rest of the year, whether it be high school football, college football, you come to see a Falcons game, whatever you got going on. I want you to keep the area in which we broadcast from every day in your mind. We're here in the Dunwoody area. You've heard me talk before about uh, Discover Dunwoody, great organization that kind of puts a spotlight on all the really cool things happening here in our Dunwoody area. Because if you're traveling to Atlanta and you need to get Midtown, Buckhead, downtown, whatever else, so convenient to get there from here where we are in Dunwoody because we're kind of nestled right in between two MARTA stations which make getting around Atlanta very easy but if you want an affordable family-friendly way to enjoy great shopping great dining really wonderful hotel selection right here in the Dunwoody area you got that 21 different 2100 hotel rooms spread across nine hotels more than 200 restaurants more than 300 shopping opportunities all in a very safe friendly friendly type area that is what Dunwoody is all about so please check out discoverdunwoody.com slash dog nation that's discoverdunwoody.com slash dog nation and find out why this Dunwoody area where we are located broadcast from each and every day is a great location for you when your travels take you to the Atlanta area discover dunwoody.com slash dog nation all right so last night was an incredibly fun night in the NFL Monday night football back on ESPN Joe Buck Troy Aikman on the call and the Washington commanders beat the Baltimore Ravens now the main headline for all of us is it was a very big night at the end for commanders quarterback Jake Fromm our weekly guest here on dog nation daily courtesy of our friends at Kroger in fact let me show you the stat line for Fromm here last night marching towards the victory 10 of 16 through the air that's a 62 and a half percent completion percentage through for 91 yards and a touchdown plus he also as someone named Evan Hill reports on Twitter uh, led the commanders down the field in a two-minute drill to win the game on a field goal so he had a touchdown but he also led the game winning kind of field goal drive there as well throwing the ball around really crisply and sharply Jake Fromm looked 
very good, I, I believe, on his way to being an active member of that Washington Commander's 53-man uh, roster here for this upcoming season. Now, the thing that kind of got the national fans, media, and just sports fans in general in such a, uh, like, up in arms but all this is, this is the strangest stat in all of sports, I believe. But the Baltimore Ravens coming into last night had had a long winning streak in the preseason. And there were some commander's players, not Jake Fromm, but there were some commander's players who had talked about the fact they wanted to beat this streak. So you got kind of a rivalry anyway, not division rivals, not even the same conference, but but they are in the beltway area together. A lot of Ravens fans, commander's fans don't like each other very much. Uh, so you've got a little bit of a rivalry spice to this preseason game anyway. And then you've got the, the Ravens who have this very strange record of having not lost in the preseason and darn near forever commanders said they wanted to end it and so when they did a lot of people making a big deal about this i thought this was really funny from a pro football focus on twitter you have to kind of know the backstory here but you know for a long time the undertaker had a long winning streak at wrestlemania and finally it was ended by uh brock lesnar beat the undertaker at wrestlemania ending his streak well pro football focus had some fun with that last night saying the ravens preseason streak is now over showing the undertaker in the ring lying flat on the ground ravens head replaces the undertaker's head now showing the 24 uh and one mark for the uh for the ravens during the preseason so pro football focus calling on pro wrestling to have some fun at the ravens expense you know i like all of that and obviously jake Fromm was right in the middle of it with a pretty big performance after the game jake was kind of talking about what it meant to do that and he sounded a lot like jake Fromm talking about a big win last night on national tv for the washington commanders here's jake for us we're going in late in the game um, it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's big for us and um, any time that, that we have uh, to go out there and play play in front of a crowd and put a jersey on uh, it's a great opportunity for us and we want to go out and, and showcase uh, and do our best and 24 in a row for the ravens 24 preseason wins in a row no more was that something you guys talked about? I mean, I know it's preseason, but it's also something that, you know, obviously was talked about on a national level a lot. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's, a, it's, it's honestly a, a really great thing that they, they had going on. Um, but, I mean, for us, it's not necessarily what we're thinking about uh, going into it. Man, we're just trying to really just execute on some plays. And, um, and, and obviously, any game you come into, you want to come out and win, obviously, for sure. Um, even a preseason game. But, you know, they just have to be the next opponent. And, man, thank God we got to win. So listen, I think that's really awesome from uh, Jake Fromm. I, great to see him have such a good performance and um, just really cool to see. And I said before, I mean, based on my understanding here, I think Jake's got a really good shot to be on that active roster for Washington. He's still going to join us during the year, even as he's playing football, we'll be on the show this week, uh, too. I just think it's a great thing. I'm really happy for him. And it was one of those things. It was kind of fun last night to watch you know a preseason game sort of felt like it mattered there for a moment uh so that was kind of a cool thing to be able to see there as well so congratulations to jake Fromm on a terrific performance now speaking of the national football league that's also the subject of our golden shoe here today there as well one of the things you may remember is that kirby smart has stated that uh georgia's goal this year is to be like the famous rugby team from new zealand they're called the all blacks because they wear all black uniforms and they've got lots of phrases that's where the better never rest phrasing comes from but another phrasing you've heard Georgia use this year is the idea of eating off the floor. Well, the Philadelphia Eagles on Instagram shared a picture of Nolan Smith walking in the other day wearing an eat off the floor t-shirt, which is an awesome way to be reminded that Nolan Smith is still just as much a DGD as he ever was. And 
a lot of Georgia fans could not love the Philadelphia Eagles much more because of their continued ties there to UGA. So awesome to see. We will give the Eagles and Nolan a golden shoe for kind of calling on some phrases that Georgia's made popular here this year. And lousy stinking Gators, they've got no things like that to enjoy right now there is no happy enjoy uh in their world all they've got is a netflix documentary dusting off some old highlights of the bygone urban meyer era georgia living in the present tense and 67 days from now the future looks pretty good there as well that is our gatorator countdown we will see all of you back tomorrow here on dog nation daily presented by engineered solutions of georgia